the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Romance. True love. It does come with a price, as we'll see today, here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Join us as we examine that price together. For me, it was, uh, well, it was the cost of a high-end Harley-Davidson traded in for a ring. And, of course, there's the fees for the vicar and the wedding, right? You know, it's all part of the romance of redemption and the price that we are willing to pay for that romance. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Today, we continue our look at the book of Ruth, The Redemption Price Paid by the Redeemer is the title of our message. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Let me review for you the story. Why is it even in the Bible? Well, it was happened in the days of the judges, but it's the genealogical record of David. So it was probably written at the time of David but of events that happened way back in the book of Judges, which were terrible days, days of Israel's apostasy, backsliding, going away from God, and many tragic things took place during those days. But this happens to be one of the most beautiful of stories. I must say to you, I read the Old Testament not like the rabbis did in 2 Corinthians 3, that they read the law having a veil over their eyes. And this veil is removed for us who are in Christ. So I read it with a theological presupposition that this book is ultimately about Christ, not just family records, not just history. Every book in this book, written by 40 human authors, was guided by one divine author. And that author, I come with that presupposition Christ is all over the Bible. But you must come looking for him, or else you'll just say, why was that in the Bible? And we find out that the word kinsman redeemer is used 23 times in this book. And so I think by analogy, and the Reformers called this uh, analogia scriptura, by the analogy of Scripture, we could see all kinds of allusions and pictures of Christ without being allegorical or without making up stuff. And so we want to do that as we look. I want to review for you the four chapters. Coming three chapters we've covered. Chapter one was the ruin, the ruin of the family that is ultimately redeemed. Uh, here, uh, Elimelech takes his family into Moab, a hated, despised, Gentile country that was ancient enemies of Israel, out of the will of God during a famine. And when he goes there, 
He loses his own life. He loses two sons. And who's left but Naomi, one pagan daughter-in-law who still worshiped the god Chemosh of Moab, and Ruth, who has been converted to Judaism and to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so she goes out pleasant, that's what her name means, and when she comes back, she tells the village women, call me Mara, for the hand of God has been against me. I am in bitterness of soul. I've been stripped. I have no grandchildren. I have no children. I have no husband. I come back broke, and I've got this clinging daughter-in-law who won't give up on me, but I can't take care of her. Desperate straits. Chapter 2, Ruth, obeying her mother-in-law's instruction, goes out and does what Deuteronomy and Leviticus said you must do. The fields were to always leave something in the corner for the widow, the orphan, the alien, the stranger. Go out and glean. It just so happens, it just happens that she winds up in the field of a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. Ruth doesn't know this. Naomi doesn't know it when she sends her out. At the end of the day, Ruth says, I got into the field of a man today who gave all kinds of grain to me. Matter of fact, Naomi, he prayed that I would come under the wings of God, that I would come under divine protection because I'm a Gentile widow in a Jewish city and I have no future because my only future is that someone would marry me. I'm still a young woman, but I'm a Gentile. It's very unlikely that anybody will look on me. And I am going to take care of you, but I, I have no assets. I have no children. I just glean, but I know this much. I met a man today that prayed God would bless me, that God would provide for me. Chapter 3. Mother-in-law instructs, Ruth, I want you to go to the gleaning place in the threshing floor of this man, Boaz. Put on some midnight in Bethlehem perfume and do your best to go down and get his attention. Because this man is obviously a good man. He is a kinsman. And if he would, he could rescue our property that's going to be up for sale. He might just be God's means of putting you under the wings of God. And as we look to chapter 3, the covering of his garment is the same Hebrew word that he prayed in chapter 2, put you under his wings. Under his wings or under the covering of his garment. And she went there. And he did cover her. And she said, would you redeem me? You're the one that can redeem me. And he said, if I can redeem you, I'll do everything as quick as I can to redeem you. And she goes back to Naomi before the sun comes up. And now we move from that threshing floor. That night is ended. Let's think of five o'clock. 
6 o'clock in the morning, when the city is awaking and coming alive, immediately from the threshing floor, he goes to the city gate, and according to custom, to transact business, you needed 10 Jewish men. So he gets the 10 Jewish men, and they come together. So we're in chapter 4, and this is where he goes immediately to see what he can do to redeem the property, to redeem this young lady. He already knows there's another kinsman in line, so they must transact business and see how providence will turn this out. What an amazing thing that's going to go. Three things I want us to look at. First of all, of all things, an unwilling redeemer. Two, a willing redeemer. And concluding this book, what analogies do we see in the redeemer Christ for us in this whole narrative? We come to chapter one, or rather four, and uh, they gather the city gate. They sit down, and uh, the nearest of kin is told about Ruth. I don't know that he's ever met Ruth. He's certainly not in love with her, not like Boaz. He's not impressed with her. She wasn't in his field. This is a brand new case to him. And the case is being laid out. There's property that needs to be redeemed for our kinfolks. And by Levitical law, you must redeem the property of Elimelech and Naomi. You must do that. And this would be very advantageous for the Redeemer that did it because there were no sons around. So that property would become his when Naomi died. It would be a great financial deal. I'll get the property as an ownership. We're still in the same family, but it's going to transfer. Wonderful way to gain some land. But there's a twist that happens. And that is in the story, when the property is thrown out there, what does the Redeemer say? Good financial deal? I'll buy it. I want it. You got it. And then skillfully, Boaz says, oh, by the way, guess what else comes with it? You get a wife. And you get to raise up a child. Because the law would say the first child born is in the name of Malon, the husband that died, Ruth's husband. That first boy that's born to the family will really go to perpetuate the name of Elimelech and Malon. And all of a sudden, he's broke. All of a sudden, he says, I can't do it. Oh, you can do it. You already said you can do it. Finances are not the problem. It's willingness. You see, it's one thing to be able to do something, It's another thing to be willing to do it. I could if I would, I would if I could. Do you ever say that about the offering plate? I would if I could. I'd just write him a million dollar check. 
And then you get over here, God blesses you. You could if you would. You got it, but that doesn't mean we get it. Because there has to be willingness. There was ability, but there was not willingness. And so he says, I cannot take on. I want the property, but I don't want the woman. And according to the law, according to the law, he was not obligated to take her. Back in Deuteronomy 25, there was a strange legislation that went like this. If your wife died, and I happened to be your brother, by the law, it was fitting that I should step in and take your wife to perpetuate children in your name, at least the firstborn son. In this situation, the nearest of kin was not a brother to one of the boys that died. So that obligation, he was not really a brother-in-law. He was just kinsman. Could have been an uncle, could have been a nephew, some kind of kin, but he was not a brother-in-law to Malon. So you don't see any spitting in his face in this narrative. Where Deuteronomy 25 said, if you don't take a man's wife once he died and raise up children, she's able to spit in his face in front of all the elders and he's to take off his shoe in shame. You're unable, you're unwilling, and you're shameful. None of that happens. Because the appeal that Boaz makes is not really to the law. But won't you be gracious? Won't you be gracious? Because if we get the land back, Naomi and Ruth are still in jeopardy. Naomi's past childbearing years, we don't know how old she is. Ruth is still a young woman. Who knows who will marry her? Who knows what her future is going to be? But what does he say? I, I can't take her on because I may, I may jeopardize my estate. Here's how it would go. He's already figured out out of the children he has who gets what. Who gets this or that? Whoa, if I take on this woman and we have a son, I've got to divvy up what I've got. I've got to add another. I was giving away thirds. Now I've got to give away fourths. I've got the family will already made. The portfolio's intact. I don't need to mess up my business by taking on a woman that I don't even know that I don't love, that I don't care for. And he goes down in history as the nameless, unwilling redeemer. We never get his name. We don't even know who he is. And so, in the context of this, they did a practice that seemed to have faded away in history. The unwilling redeemer takes off his shoe hands it to Boaz and says, I don't want the deal. I don't buy the terms. This is not a deal I want. So, Ruth and Naomi are as bad off as ever, if that's all there was to it. But there's a difference in Boaz. He's a willing redeemer. And watch what he says. After the exchange of the sandals, 
Verse 8, so when the Redeemer, the first in line, said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off a sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses today. What a marvelous uh, story of the prince riding in, uh, not on a white horse, but with some cash, with some willingness. You see, somebody had to be able, someone had to be willing in order to redeem this woman and this land. And so he says, I'm able and I'm willing. He bought the land and uh, he bought Ruth, the Moabite. And uh, he ultimately becomes a rescuer of Naomi. Now, the townspeople, they, they are happy. They are thrilled because Ruth has got a reputation for being good to Naomi. She's got a reputation for being a, a godly woman, a hard worker, taking care. Every morning, she's the one in the field. Mother-in-law's telling her what to do, but she's the gal doing the work. Now, listen to how they bless. May you be fruitful. May you be like Leah and Rachel. And may your husband be famous in Ephrathah. That's one of the names for Bethlehem. May he be like Perez. Perez was one of the descendants of Judah. And he became the head of the clan known as the Bethlehemites. May you become as fruitful and as well known. And here just out of, on the pages of history, Boaz comes out of nowhere the kinsman that would not redeem fades. Ruth should have faded. Naomi should have faded. But you never know what God wants to do with your family tree. You never know when you might meet the real redeemer that can change the destiny of your life. Headed for death, they were living in widowhood, facing starvation, nameless as it were, no grandchildren, no one to hug, just two women without welfare. Who knows? But she just happened in the field of Boaz. Just happened, chance. And so, what's going to happen? This redeemer gets a wife. You see, Boaz was getting up in age. He could have been Naomi's age. And uh, you know what's interesting? He marries this gal who's been barren. That's another risk. I, I doubt that very many Jewish men, they would have asked her, did you have any children in the first marriage? Because the Jewish hope was to be part of the Messiah, to bring the line on who would want to marry a gal that's barren? She would be viewed as under a divine curse. 
Why don't you have any children? Why didn't you ask that, Boaz? No children down in Moab. Nothing but death. Nothing but sorrow. You're out of the will of God. You've left the city of bread. You went away from God, and Naomi got it right. The hand of God's been against you. I love that Dallas Holmes song. There's been times I've been out of his will, but I've never been out of his care. Have you ever made a choice just to go out of the will of God? I'll come back to you later. I'll sow my wild oats, or in this decision, I'm going to do it my way. And you've gone, and and barrenness, and the hand of God seemed to be against you. Well, here's a man that says, I want to marry a gal that's been barren so far. But guess what? When she gets in the arms of the right man and the Redeemer and the will of God, we've got a baby being born. And a baby is born, and all of a sudden, Naomi is hearing the local women say, God's restoration has come to you. Your, your face is going to be lifted up. No longer will you be called Mara. No longer will you be a sad woman and sits in the hand of God. Everything changed when she went into the field of Boaz. Just met the right man who fell in love with her, who had the means and just happened to be a kinsman. And so they say to her, a redeemer is going to be born to you. And they're really talking about the firstborn child. And he shall restore you. He shall bring back everything. And she had no idea that this is going to be a part of the messianic line. Uh, David hasn't shown up yet. These are the ancestors of David. They, they never heard of a Davidic covenant in Second Samuel 7. They haven't heard anything about a millennial reign of Christ. She knows nothing about Christ coming and Messiah yet. It's faint out there, but not a clue that she is going to be in the line. Transferred. Naomi, when the child came, some believe she adopted the child. Some scholars argue that. Who knows? But she became the nanny. She became, they had built-in babysitting, let's say that. Ruth didn't have to worry about who's going to take care of Obed. There was that baby said, this family tree will continue. This line will continue. And it goes on then to give the genealogy of David. David could say, this is my family tree. This is how I got here. These are the people. God squeezed in a Moabite girl. It's amazing in the genealogy of Christ, we get a prostitute, Rahab. We get a willing adulteress, Bathsheba. And here we get a Moabite Gentile enemy, Ruth, all wind up in the Messianic line. It's an amazing thing that God wove in, we who were the ancient enemies of Israel, that we should be at the same table, that we should be in the same family in Christ. It's a marvelous thing. I hope you're not an anti-Semitic person. I hope you pray for Jews. I hope you pray God had saved them. God loves them. They're no harder uh, than you were without Christ. Uh, 
God loves them. He's not done with them. And let me say this. Just because you're Jewish, you're not going to heaven. Any more than just being the Baptist is going to get you to heaven. Sometimes we say, if you're a Jew, you've already got it made. No, you don't. They stumbled at the cross. They need to be evangelized. They're lost. They're lost. Do you pray for your Jewish friends? Do you ever pray that God open the eye of the Gentiles and open the eyes of the Jews? What a marvelous thing how God is showing us in history. Jew and Gentile are going to come together. And this is Truth For Today, the radio ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules, and our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. Thank you for spending time with us today. As always, it is a pleasure and a delight studying God's Word with you that we might mutually grow in our love and admiration for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have questions about today's program, maybe you have a question about your own walk or relationship with the Lord, we would love to talk with you. No strings attached. Give us a call, and we'd be more than happy to answer any questions we can or pray with you. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. If you would rather write to us, here's our address, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. We're here in Hercules, the zip code 94547. And again, even if it's a simple thank you for the broadcast, we'd love to hear from you. It's always a delight knowing that these programs are being used by the Lord for your growth in Christ. So again, you can reach us by phone, by mail, or better yet, stop by our website, truthfortoday.org, or give us a call, 855 833 9864. Thank you for joining us today. We trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.